We're going to take a break <clears throat> from uh, the Good News Kingdom this morning. Uh, I want to share uh, just some things that God has been teaching me, <clears throat> and a lot of that uh, was also talked about this past week, uh, as Nate talked about in our uh, retreat. So I want to just, if you'll grant me a, a week off, just to share something from Ephesians chapter 3. The, the, the great church historian named Augustine is famous for a lot of things. But one of the things he's famous for is this quote that says this, Our hearts were made for you, O Lord, and they are restless until they rest in you. That longing that is within all of us for intimacy and specifically intimacy with God, is what we have been made for. To find communion with God and to experience His love is what our quest as humans is. And it is not just a churchy thing, not just a Christian thing, it's a real thing that until that, that deep fellowship, that deep intimacy you're longing for is found in God... There will be no true intimacy. There will be no true communion. There will be no rest in your heart. And our intimacy with God is directly tied to our experience of His love. Our intimacy with God, our fellowship with God is directly tied to how you and I actually experience the love of God. And we're going to speak to this throughout in a different couple ways, but in essence what I'm getting at is, is that there is not just an intellectual understanding that God loves you. The love of God is not just a foundational reason for why He sent Jesus to actually die for you. There is a a bigger understanding of the love of God, that when we come to Scripture, we see that God is love. And as cliche as it is, we were made for relationship. You heard that? Like, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. You heard that crazy statement? And as cliche as it is, there is an element of truth to it, that we were made to dwell in the love of God. This is what God was doing before the creation of the world. We, we talk about the story of God a lot here, redemption. And before God made the world, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, were in perfect intimacy, perfect union, perfect relationship with one another, that they both gave love and received love. The Father shared His love with the Son, and the Son received that love. And the Spirit shared His love with the Son, and, the, and vice versa. But what I'm getting at is, there is this giving and receiving. A lot of us just think love is this, I need to give to others. You know what it takes to actually have a loving, intimate relationship? Is the ability to receive love from other people. And this is the picture we get of the triune God before creation. And the reason He went on a mission to create a world is so that you and I could actually participate in that very life of God. So that God could share His love with us and we could receive His love. 
And in a very real sense, we then share our love with God. We reciprocate that back to God. And in our experience of Him, and Him receiving our love back to Him, you and I find a wholeness to life. And so the intimacy with our Creator God is what you and I are all about. And, and we get this mixed up all the time. We think Christianity is a bunch of things we got to do this week. And what I want you to know is, sure, there's things you got to do this week, but the thing you need to do this week is commune with God. Is to have intimacy in your relationship with Him. Because how you relate is how you relate. How you relate to God is how you relate to other people. You can't say, I have this deep, intimate relationship and love with God and treat your neighbor like a piece of crap. You can't say, I love my neighbor intimately and deeply and not have a deep, intimate relationship with God. How you relate is how you relate. To the degree that we say this often, that the quality of your life is directly tied to the quality of your intimate relationships. That if you don't have intimacy in your relationships, you don't have a deep, meaningful life. And all of our life is soul-shrinking. There is so much joy being offered to us, and we are satisfied for all of the mediocrity of, leave me alone, I got this under control. God is saying there is intimate joy that is being offered to you through a communion, through a fellowship with Him. 1 John chapter 1, on the next slide, there's three parts to it, and there's a lot here, but I just want to notice something. That the first section says this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life, Jesus. This life, Jesus appeared. We have seen it. We testify to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has came and appeared to us. Now, John is just saying, we touched Jesus. We handled him. We talked with him. We knew him. He came to us from the Father. Then notice this next section. And we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may have what? Fellowship. What is Fellowship. It's the sharing together of everything that you are. It's having things in common. We, we use the word community, but you know where community comes from? Common unity. Having shared life, having shared values. So, we proclaim to you, we have seen and heard. Why do we tell you about Jesus? So you can have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with who? Jesus. Okay, so do you catch this? He's like, I'm telling you all about Jesus. You can come have fellowship with us. And you know what our fellowship is when you come, you know who we fellowship with? When you come to fellowship with us, we fellowship with who? Jesus. Which necessarily means this, that when you share in your life and you share in the life of the church, you are actually sharing in the life of who? This isn't like I have my quiet time and my church time. This is actually when you meet with God's people, you're meeting with God Himself. 
And then John makes the statement, then you will have complete joy. What's the order that I'm asking you to see is that if you want deep, abiding joy, if you really want it, and you're not going to satisfy for soul-shrinking, you know, fake things in your life, it's going to come through what? Deep, intimate relationship with Jesus and His people. John isn't concerned about your Sunday morning attendance. John isn't concerned about your friends who you think they're, they, you love them so much, but you never even see them. What John is concerned about is that there is a group of people who know Jesus and gather around him so that when they're together, they're actually with him. The reason most of us might find relationships with each other so difficult is because we struggle having relationship with God himself. In fact, as I've said, the degree to which we relate to God is the degree to which we're able to relate to others. What I want you to know, church, is this. Is that there is an almighty God who is deeply passionate for you who actually this morning has his arms wrapped around you in love. Is Joe Rossetti in this room? This is going to be really embarrassing. Joe, come up here. If I called anyone else, I don't know if you might get mad at me, but I know Joe won't get mad, right? Like, and we're going to do something really awkward and really embarrassing. Okay? <clears throat> but there's like this sense, you can stay right there for a minute. Better go easy. Better go easy. Okay. There's a sense, well, you know what, I should do what our speaker did. He called someone up and made him stand there for half an hour because he kept going on rabbit trails. That'd be fun. Um, but I'm going to come to you. There's a sense in which this is how we relate to God. Okay, you ready? I'm going to take your head. We're going to touch heads. Okay. This is how we relate it's to like God. It's like Morgan Mindy. Does anybody know about that? <laughs> how, how old are you? Older than you? Hey, by the way, your son thought you were older than me. Okay. This is how we relate to God, head to head, right? How many of you relate to God intellectually like that? Like, I need to know him, I need to know things, I got to do things, I got to keep learning about him, I got to know what omnipresence is and omniscience is and, and what superlapsarianism is, and the more I do that, we keep relating to God this way, right? How does God want to relate to you? Simply this way, or does he want to do this to you? Right, I see why. What do you think? I see why you thought I wasn't yeah. embarrassed by that. Right? Give you a hug. This is what God is doing to you. This is what God is expecting. He's like wrapping his arms around you, Joe. Like, I know your life right now, it's hard. But you know what God is doing? He's got his arms around you. And he loves you. And you know what? When I give you a hug, guess what I'm doing? Do you feel the love of God? Absolutely. That's what God is wanting, is people who will just wrap their arms around them. Because when you meet heart to heart, what do you really have? Is there an intimacy there? Or is there just an intellect? And so many times, this is what we're missing in the Christian life, is that God isn't giving you an IQ test. An you can go sit down. I'm done hugging for the rest of my life. I think that was like an open invitation to hug Scott, right? 
yeah, right? <laughs> and this is what God is doing for us. And do you know how you actually tangibly feel the love of God being wrapped around you? Is by the people of God wrapping their arms around you. You are fully loved sons and daughters of the Most High God who are becoming what we should always become. Like, we need to realize that we belong to a new creational world while at times still living as if we don't. We don't jump back and forth. If you go on to the next slide, we, we believe that scriptures teach about two worlds. Uh, can you go to the next one? Sorry, I get them in the wrong order. Two worlds that exist at the same time. The world that God made with Adam. And the world that Jesus launched in his resurrection. And the first world that Adam actually was given, that was forfeited to Satan, is now a world that we would say is dominated by the flesh. And yet the new world that Jesus launched is a world that is dominated by his spirits. And I ask this question, which world do you belong to? See, I think many times we've had this illustration in Christianity, and it's right to a certain degree, but I think we miss the whole... It, it, Messes, muddles everything up. We're like a dog in the middle chained. And there's like good things on this side and bad things on that side. And whatever I feed myself more, I will become, right? So if I keep feeding on good things, I'll be a better person. If I keep feeding on the flesh, I will be a fleshly person. You ever heard that illustration? Ever thought like, I need to fill myself with this so that I'm a spirit person? Or if I don't and I keep filling up over here, I'm not going to be a spirit person, I'm going to be a fleshly person. Listen to Romans chapter 8, if you go back to the previous slide. For the mind that is set on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, it does not submit to God's law, in fact, it can't. So those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, in church, say this with me, are not in the flesh, but in the what? Okay, does he say when you act good, you're in the Spirit? No, you are always in the Spirit. You belong to the spirits. You don't jump back and forth between two worlds. You already are in the family of God, in this new kingdom that Jesus is creating, and this is who you are. And the quest of our Christian life is becoming more and more of who we are. And so, yes, all of us, in a sense, have, in a sense, tasted of God's love for us. But you know what? There's another sense. There's another sense in which you have no idea how deep God's love is. You haven't even begun to scratch the surface or even begun to dig even a foot down and get to the well of the love of God for you. You belong to Christ. 
And because you belong to Christ, even in your worst days, even in your worst sins, God has His arms wrapped around you. He's got them wrapped around you. You don't get it when you jump into the new world and lose it when you go to the old world because that's not even Christian. There is a constant love of God for you. Why do I tell you all this? Because if we were made for a relationship, and if we're going to experience the intimate love of the Almighty God, as we become more and more aware of that love, it is actually going to shape the way we do life together. The love of God is what we've been made to participate in, to dwell in, to be consumed by. So that Paul will say, as we've highlighted in Ephesians chapter 3, I had you turn there. <clears throat> Do we have this on the screen too? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 15. A very familiar passage, if you have grown up in the church. But Paul says this, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, <clears throat> that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power. Okay, so Paul is praying that you would have the ability to be empowered through the Spirit to have Christ dwell in your hearts through faith. Then notice this next request. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul prays that we would have the strength. I love that. It's not the, he's not praying that we have the, I, I was thinking about this this week, and I might be wrong on this, but this is what I was coming to my conclusion on, is he's not asking for the understanding, the intellectual understanding of how much God loves. He's asking us for the strength to grasp onto something, to hold on to something. The height, the depth, the breadth, and the width of the love of God for you in the person of Jesus that surpasses all knowledge. Like in one sense, I can't even tell you about the, knowledge, the love of God because it's too beautiful. It's beyond understanding. There's often this wall we hit in our Christian life for the experience of God's love. We come to believe initially in the good news of Jesus for us, the gospel, that He dies the death that we should have died, and He lives the life that we should have lived. We often begin our journey with God with this overwhelming sense of His love and His grace to the point that we come up with all kinds of weird things like, I'm on fire. You ever heard that? I want my fire back. I'm like, okay. I mean, to light a match or what? Like, what, what does that mean? Like, but the idea is, is that God wasn't, isn't as amazing and as beautiful as he once was. Inevitably, it seems, this passion seems to diffuse. And then in our Christian life, we begin to settle. We move into places of comfortability. 
As we progress in our, in our Christian life, we, we find and uh, uh, settle down into a church, a, a church zone, a friend zone. As we settle down, we end up settling down with people who usually are just like us, who generally teach and believe the same things we believe. And yet we forget that growth always happens through discomforts. Where there's no stretching, there's no ability to expand. When you gain muscle mass, it always comes through discomforts. Okay, if you want to run a faster 5K, how, what do you have to do to get there? You gotta hurt, right? Like, this is the point that, I mean, you know this, all good things in life are what? The hard things. You have to be able to go through discomfort. And, and as we move in our Christian life, somehow we just get into this place that we're comfortable. And then we wonder why we're not growing. Because to actually progress in anything requires discomfort. If you haven't found discomfort in a racial inequality that's going on in our country, if you haven't found discomfort in the pandemic, if you haven't found discomfort in all the things going on in our country right now, you're not growing. Is there no discomfort for being a member of Jesus' church? You're not growing because, in fact, if we're going to make it to the kingdom of God, we have to go through many trials and tribulations. There will be discomfort. And yet, because we're Americans, we do everything to avoid as much discomfort as possible. And in doing so, you avoid the God of the universe and you pretend to have intimate relationships with people all the while inside your soul is shriveling up and dying. But you feel good. Because you're in control. Not only do we get comfortable, but as we progress in our Christian life, unfortunately and often dishearteningly, we begin to go back and struggle with the same sins we struggled with before. We're like, I thought this was over. Right? And what happens? It's not over. And the old patterns return. As we move in our Christian life, our intellect, our, our understanding of God is we need more and more of God. We need to learn more about Him. And, and we forget that knowledge and intellect is a highway that gets you where? To Jesus. Jesus is the destination. And all of the intellect, all of the information about Scripture, if it doesn't lead you to knowing Jesus, it's useless. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth. I'm the truth. So that if you have any intellectual highway running that you are learning about him and want to go deep in the scriptures that does not move you to a deep, meaningful relationship with Jesus, it's not helping you. So, you know, in our Christian life, we, we get comfortable. Um, we, we get back into our old patterns of sins and, and we use information as a mask, as a cover-up. But let me ask you this. Are those really the reasons why you and I don't have intimacy with God? What I want to say is those are surface reasons. I think there's some deeper reasons why you and I avoid intimacy with God. And I want to go back to the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3. If you remember the story, 
God said, eat of any tree you want except for the one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And uh, the serpent comes in, uh, Satan, as he's later identified, and he tempts Eve into eating the fruit. And she eats the fruit and hands it to Adam, and he eats the fruit. And now that the ability to have meaningful relationship with God has been severed, right? And, and what do they do? The first thing they do is they hide. You can go to the next slide, and I'm just going to show these up here all at the same time. But one of the reasons you and I avoid intimacy with God is because we're afraid. We're afraid of God. We hide. Adam and Eve, after they sinned, they went and hid. It's like the dumbest thing ever. It's like playing hide-and-seek with your kids when you're it, if I've heard this illustration before. And, and I used to say with my kids, all right, ready or not, is everyone ready? And what would they do? They all yell, yes, we're ready. I'm like, sweet, now I don't even have to look. I know right where you are. And yet this is what Adam and Eve do. As if God didn't know where they were, they still go and hide. And you and I, and we're going to talk through all these in a little bit, but this goes through all of them. You and I know all these things about God, but experientially, you still hide from God. You are afraid of Him. We think that He's angry with us. We think that He is not happy with us. Or that He's waiting for us to clean ourselves up to gain His approval. Why do we think that? You've been conditioned your whole life that acceptance is based on your performance. And yet your acceptance with God is not based on your performance. And you know that because if it was, you'd never get there. You're afraid to let yourself be known by God. Of course you know He knows everything that's going on in your heart, but you're still running from Him. You're still hiding from Him. You're still not willing to acknowledge the deep things, the deep pain in your heart. And so you run from God. Shame. Shame is what they did when they put leaves on them. They covered themselves. Shame is saying, I am wrong. Not that I did wrong, guilt, we'll talk in a minute, but that I am wrong. There's something inherently wrong with me. And people have done things to us to cause us shame. People have said things to us that cause us shame. And so what do we have to do to cover that shame? We have to go and put on fig leaves. Fig leaves. Rather than acknowledge our nakedness and allow the love of God to clothe us, we go to find our own clothes. We cover ourselves up. We are embarrassed to be seen for who we really are. Or guilt. Adam and Eve, when they began to feel that not only they were wrong and that they were afraid, they began to feel guilt. And what do they do? God, it's the woman you gave me. It's not my responsibility. I'm going to pass the guilt. To deal with the guilt, I've got to blame other people. Rather than acknowledge our own sin, our own inabilities, we begin to blame other people, other situations for our own problems. We do not take responsibility for our actions. And all these things, fear, shame, and guilt, these are the real obstacles to your intimacy with God. 
You're afraid of them. You feel inadequate and deep and dirty, and you don't want to take responsibility for who you are. And of course, why would you want to go to someone who is freely giving you love when all you want to do is hide from him? Or you feel dirty that you can't open yourself up to him. And I want to say this, is you can't say that I only struggle with fear, shame, and guilt with my relationship with God and not others. Because I said at the beginning, how you relate is how you relate. The degree to which these obstacles keep you from intimacy with God is the degree to which they keep you from intimacy with other people. So let me give you a couple things. Are you afraid that if people really knew who you were, they would not like you anymore? Like, if you... People really knew everything about me. They wouldn't like me. Is that fear, shame, or guilt? Fear and shame, right? Mixed together, you're afraid. And so what do you have to do? You have to go hide. You can hide like who you are as a person, or you can just hide physically. You can actually just stay away from people. Now, I'm not talking about introvert thing, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. But you just stay away from people. And when you are with people, you continue to hide because you're afraid. Do you feel like you're not worthy enough to be loved by someone? Are you like always self-sabotaging your relationships? Because you don't feel worthy? There's like this deep, inherent shame in you. Do you blame others for your own relationships? Just think about this. When you're in relationship with people and you struggle with fear, shame, and guilt, in order to lift yourself up, what do you have to do? Put other people down, don't you? When you live in fear that someone's not going to like you, you have to create this persona that you are great and better than other people. This is why you gossip. This is why you say things about other people. It's because you don't know the deep love of God for you. He's got his arms wrapped around you, and he wants to fill you with his love and his life, and you're so afraid to come to him that you're going to cover yourself and and hide from people and, and blame other people for all of your problems. When there is a loving God who is waiting with loving arms to receive you. Without intimacy with God, you become a very selfish person because you always have to protect yourself. Like, and, and what, what I really need is for the Spirit of God right now, Spirit, help us to see where we protect ourselves. Like, I don't know all the relationships you're in, and I can give you examples, but the real issue is like, no, I am so far away from the love of God that I have to defend myself and protect myself from my spouse in this way, from my people, my best friends this way. This person said this to me, and I'm so angry that they would even think that of me, and so I have to build up an armor around that to make myself feel better. I'm better than them. Like, this is the issue. Without intimacy with God, you become so selfish that in your self-protection, sure, as C.S. Lewis says, good, congratulations, you have a heart, you've wrapped it in a box, you've bowed it, you've done every little thing, and all the while, while you have protected your heart in that little box, what is your heart doing? 
It's shriveling up and dying. He goes on to say, it is it better, it's better to risk love than to not love at all. Or maybe you're just a self-pity person. You're saying things like this, maybe out loud in your heart, no one cares, no one sees me. No one knows the troubles that I know. Nobody's gone through what I've gone through. This might be one of the most self-blinding areas in our own lives is self-pity. But you know what? God sees you. God cares for you. And when you begin to see that God sees you and God cares for you and you begin to fellowship in His love, ask Him to send people into your life that also will care about you. I'm beginning to believe more and more that the greatest work of the enemy, the greatest work of Satan, is not just eat the cookie. The greatest work of Satan is not doing extra paranormal things. I think the greatest work Satan does to us is tell us lies about who we are that are so contrary to the good news of Jesus that we continue to live in fear, shame, and guilt. The devil tells you you're not good enough, you're not worthy enough, you haven't done this enough, you don't know enough, you don't love enough, you don't go to MC enough. He tells you God doesn't really love you. He tells you things from like things that you don't even know about, that you think other people are saying about you, and you don't even know what they're saying about you, but you build up this whole narrative about what other people are saying about you, and you don't even know. Where did that all come from? The evil one is taking the situations in your life and building up a narrative in your life that is actually saying something other than this. God loves you. And he has his arms wrapped around you. That when you're living in fear, God's arms don't come off of you. When you're living in shame, his arms don't come off of you. When you're living in guilt, his arms don't come off of you. He is continuing to run after you. Do not let the devil tell you that you're not loved. Do not let the devil tell you that there are no other people who love you. But tell the devil this. Will you stand with me? And will our music team come forward? As we prepare to sing our final song, and as we stand together, on the last slide I have a scripture verse that I'd like us to read together. says this, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? What church? I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither heights, nor life, nor neither angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, 
Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Church, nothing, if you put your faith in Jesus, is keeping his arms from coming off of you. You are wrapped with an eternal love that we are just beginning to taste. And the more that we do business with our fear and our shame and our guilt and our, we come running to him, the more joy is actually going to come out of your life the more fruitful your relationships with other people will be. So, Father, thank you for just a simple reminder that nothing can separate us from your love. And so I pray that where we hide from you, where we cover ourselves, and where we blame would actually be able to be removed so that we could actually move into the presence of the loving God that you are for us. So Jesus, help us to find intimacy, to find fellowship, to find communion with our brothers and sisters in Christ because that's where you are. We ask these things in Jesus' name.